My name is Mike Stairs, and I am one of the pastors on staff. I'm actually using a pulpit tonight because I didn't want to mess up any of the music stand music that's here. Normally, I just use a music stand because in uh, scum culture, uh, music, music stands are cooler than a handmade wooden dedicated to the Lord pulpit thing here. Although, I, this is pretty nice. Anyway, I'm not getting attached. Sorry, well, not, yeah. You guys don't remember because you weren't there, but uh, back at uh, my Corona Presbyterian days, we had the Eisenhower pulpit. Now, that thing, it looked like, you know, you could have taken it on D-Day and protected yourself. That thing was like half of an octagon and, you know, took three three or four guys to lift it and move it around. A gift from President Eisenhower to a caring congregation. At least that was the title on the brochure. So I didn't know who Sean Groves was. Anybody here know who Sean Groves is? Raise your hands. few people. Christian singer, songwriter guy. I know. Sarah Groves, but I didn't know Sean Groves. Are they related? Does anybody know? Had the same initials, obviously. But so I was looking at his blog because I thought it was really interesting. Uh, He talked about Donald Miller. How many people here know who Donald Miller is? Okay, several more of you know who Donald Miller is. Oh, by the way, did you know that they're trying to raise money for the Blue Light Jazz movie? I think they've met their their goals, but, you know, more is always nice. So if you want to donate to the Blue Light Jazz movie fund, because they had a big investor that pulled out, feel free to go online, find that, and donate. I'll endorse that, even though Don refused to endorse my book. Um, (laughs) Killing him with kindness right now. Anyway, so I found this, and it says, Reader Advisory Heresy at the top there. And then it says, Read with the sermon, especially Donald Miller. And this is what Sean Groves writes on his blog. I bought Donald Miller's book, A Million Miles in a Thousand Years, for my wife recently at uh, Barnes & Noble, across the street from my local Lifeway store. (laughs) I think I was too hard on them, meaning too hard on, on Lifeway. I planned to buy it at Lifeway, but when I pulled the book from the shelf, I discovered that it and every book by Donald Miller at the store comes with a slip of paper tucked inside, a note instructing me to get extra info on Donald from the cashier before making my purchase. So I did. The extra info turned out to be a warning which read in part, We want you to know that the authors of books marked Read with Discernment may have espoused thoughts, ideas, or concerns that could be considered inconsistent with historical evangelical theology. Now, we just had the memorial service for Dr. Vernon Grounds last week. He's one of the founders of the evangelical movement in this country. That was back in the 50s. So I guess that's historical. 
When you go to LifeWay's website, the following further explanation is given. Quote, we at LifeWay Christian Stores are dedicated to providing biblical solutions that spiritually transform individuals and cultures. One way you can grow spiritually and intellectually is through reading. And whenever you read, we encourage you to read with discernment, asking God to reveal his truth to you as you read. Next slide, please. All right. So it says, just say no. I mean, yes. I mean, no. It goes on to talk about Lifeway and Donald Miller and how once he actually left Lifeway and went across the street to Barnes Noble, he felt bad about it because, you know, maybe every book should come with that kind of warning. And he says, uh, what do you mean historical evangelical Christianity? And so he said, uh, in Under What Is History... It's historical fact that Christianity was almost entirely led by pacifists for the first 300 years of its existence. Should Lifeway then carry books written by soldiers, books endorsing America's wars, books by Oliver North, for instance? I mean, I don't have a problem with Colonel North, who knows hundreds of ways to kill any man who has a problem with him, but Tertullian wouldn't agree with him at all. It's historical fact that for most of Christian history, individuals did not ask Jesus into their hearts or, quote-unquote, accept Jesus. Should Lifeway carry books and tracts that communicate personal salvation in such non-biblical, non-historically Christian terms? Would home churches that existed before Rome's building projects scratch their heads at books on institutional church administration as well? Is historical Christianity the stuff that happened after Constantine or after Calvin? Or is it after Dwight L. Moody? And what historical evangelical theology is communicated by paintings of cottages printed on mouse pads and T-shirts that print scripture pulled from context across an American flag or keychains or romance novelty minus romance novels minus the sex? Next slide, please. Anyway, he goes on to say, maybe he should have warnings at his concerts. We want you to know that everything here might be wrong. Exercise discernment. Maybe, (laughs) I would like you to know that everything I sing and say tonight might be wrong. Exercise discernment. And here's one from my church. We want you to know that everything taught and said here might be wrong. Exercise discernment. And of course, one for this blog. I want you to know that everything I write may be wrong. Exercise discernment. All right. This is like preaching to the choir here. In other words, you guys already believe this. You're already a bunch of, you know, rebels with a cause here. And telling you to be skeptical of Lifeway Christian bookstores, or telling you to be skeptical of Christianity as a whole, or even more specifically, telling you to be skeptical of what I say here tonight, exercise discernment is just feeding the fire, right? Anyway, exercise discernment. I think it's a good 
thing to do. And there's this strange line in Scum of the Earth's mission statement. We seek to be a community that asks questions while seeking truth. And what I want to know is, is that if the leaders of the Jewish religion at the time Jesus was preaching were asking him questions, trying to discern whether or not Jesus really was from God or not, then how does that make them different from us? Or what's the big deal when Jesus gets ticked off at the Pharisees? So we're going to open up to Mark chapter 11. We're going to finish off Mark chapter 11 tonight. And we're going to actually tackle this question about what it means to ask questions while seeking truth, what it means to exercise discernment in your Christian life, what it means to question maybe even God himself. So if you got it open to Mark chapter 11, go to verse 26. And I'm going to read from the New International Version. They, meaning Jesus and his disciples, arrived again in Jerusalem. And while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders came to him. By what authority are you doing these things? They asked. And who gave you authority to do this? Now, remember in the last few lines, Mark tells us that Jesus has just got done cleansing the temple of money changers, overturning tables, driving out people who are selling sacrificial animals, and basically calling down prophetic judgment from the Old Testament, namely Isaiah and Jeremiah, upon the people who were there. In some ways, Jesus was saying, enough, it's over. And these guys, the teachers, the chief priests, the elders, they knew that Jesus was serious. And so they're asking him this question, by what authority are you doing these things, and who gave you authority to do this? It seems like a good question. This is their turf. This is their temple. They're the ones in charge. And here is this guy who comes up and starts making trouble. And then Jesus replied in verse 29, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I am doing these things. John's baptism, was it from heaven or from men? Tell me. Now Jesus is referring to John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the last great Old Testament prophet. You're going, wait a minute, Mike, isn't he the New Testament? Yeah, yeah, but he's Old Testament prophet. Just trust me. All right? The New Testament hasn't even begun yet, really. The New Covenant. Okay, so John's job was to proclaim the arrival of the Messiah. And boy, did the people love John the Baptist. They came out to hear him in droves. 
And he not only tickled their ears, he caused them to change their lives. They actually got baptized and they changed their ways. It was amazing. Then he gets arrested by the hated king for prophesying to the king. And then the king chops off his head. Now, John has become Che Guevara times a hundred. He is super popular now that he's a martyr for the truth. And so Jesus is asking these guys a loaded question in return. He's asking them, basically, the same question they're asking him. Verse 31, they discussed it among themselves and they said, hmm, if we say from heaven, he will ask, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say from men, dot, 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 they feared the people for everyone held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, Uh, We don't know. Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. So Jesus is out foxing the foxes. He is out crafting the crafty. He is sly in his response. Because this is what's going to happen. If Jesus says, what I'm telling you is from God then they're going to arrest him for heresy because he's not a graduate of any any seminary they approved. And he didn't get ordained by any, any, any religious organization they were a part of. He's not licensed to preach. And if he says, oh, I came up with it on my own, Then Jesus discredits himself in front of everybody because, you know, everybody thinks he's got some kind of main line to God. So Jesus doesn't answer. And so, you know, outsmarts them. And, you know, we who sit here on this side of the millennia, you know, we... We're cheering for Jesus. Jesus did it. Look, look, Jesus stuck it to him. Jesus is our man. He's a rebel with the cause, just like us. And very often in these stories, now we we pick a character we're going to relate to. And in this story, there are basically two characters. There's Jesus on the one side, and then on the other side, there's the teachers of the law, the priests, the elders. There's Jesus, the young rabble-rouser, and there's all these old, crotchety, grumpy, stick-in-the-mud kind of guys who make religion dull and boring. And we, most of us, in this particular situation, will identify ourselves with Jesus, I think. Uh, N.T. Wright, a bishop from... England has the story that he tells about a terrible traffic jam in London. 
Cars are gridlocked. There's horn honking. People were screaming, move out of the way, things like that. And, you know, the police are not around. It's just terrible rush hour kind of a dilemma. And so then some young man from out of nowhere, from the sidewalk, comes walking up, starts to move cars, starts to motion people through, and pretty soon, slowly but surely, untangles this whole giant traffic mess in downtown London. Just before the police get there. Now, the police, obviously, could come up to this young guy and say, by what authority are you doing this? Little do they know that in Tom Wright's scenario, this young man is actually the new chief of police. They just don't know it yet. And that's how we see Jesus in this particular passage. Jesus has been going out, untangling all sorts of messes all around Israel. He's been healing people. He's been feeding people with just a few loaves and a few fishes. He's been teaching people things they never heard before. He's been raising the dead. He's been turning water into wine. And he has been opening up the pathway for people to get to God. Right? That's what he's doing. And if you're like me, you see yourself in that vein. You see yourself as the kind of person you want to go and make a difference in the world. You want to do good stuff for God. And you don't need anybody to tell you you can do it. You want to feed hungry people, so you just get a few friends together and you make sandwiches in your kitchen and you go out and you pass them out to homeless people. Or you decide that you're going to go to a Indian reservation and you're going to bring you know, some hope and you're going to pray for people and you're going to help in some very practical ways, teach kids all sorts of things because, you know what, because... You don't need anybody to tell you that God has anointed you for this kind of purpose. There are two big leadership questions. The first question is, who are you? And the second question is, who gives you the right? Aren't those the big leadership questions? Who are you and who gives you the right? If somebody came up here, pushed me aside, grabbed the microphone, those would be questions we'd be asking that person. Who are you? And what gives you the right to come up and push Mike down on the ground and start taking over the service? Well, I think for us, I think the answer to the first question is, we're just like you. Who are you? We're just like you. We're just people who want to make a difference. We're folks who... Love God and love others, and we want to make the world a better place. But who gives you the right? That's a question a lot of us really don't have an answer to. So we join churches, we team up with mission organizations, we get some kind of covering that says, okay, we've trained you. We've prayed for you. We've given you the right to go out in our name and to make a difference in the world, to go and dig wells, 
in the Amazon for indigenous tribes that have no fresh water. We, we give you the right to go and inoculate babies in Ghana. We give you the right to go across the border into Mexico and help build houses for people who are living in the city dump. So I think part of us understands that it's okay to have some kind of covering organization. And Jesus, thank God, he had the ultimate covering organization, namely heaven. But they didn't see it. And the question that the Pharisees had to face is, are we going to submit to this young guy? Because submission, my friends, is always voluntary. I don't care if you're under communist or Nazi domination. They can't make you submit in your heart. It's like the parents who took their little boy to church. He kept sitting down. He was supposed to be standing up singing the songs. They kept grabbing his arm and pulling him up. Stand up for these songs. We're singing songs now. We all stand up. Everybody in the church is standing up except for you. Stand up. Kid sits down. Grabs his arm again. Stand up or you're going to get it after church. Stand up. This happens a few times and finally the kid stands up. And the parents go, good, thank you. You're doing well. And the kid says to himself, I'm still sitting down on the inside. Submission is always voluntary. Jesus cannot force these guys to submit to the authority that he has from on high. So let's talk about these other guys. So you can identify with Jesus. And I think, honestly, if you're young and zealous and in love with God, then I think it's a good thing to identify with Jesus. But when you get older and you get crotchety and you get to be a stick in the mud like me, you begin to identify more with the chief priests, with the elders, and with the teachers of the law. And as I look at these guys, the thing that I wonder is, why are they so afraid of the truth? And then I think, why am I so afraid of the truth? Why am I so afraid of the truth? that God might bring to me. When Mary and I were young parents, when we brought our kids back from the hospital, Mary was a nursing mom, and so the kid ate, you know, mama's milk exclusively, right? And this is the way it would be. Wake up in the middle of the night crying. And Mary, being specifically attuned to that voice, would go pick up the child, bring him or her back into bed, cuddle, it'd be nice and warm, you know. And next thing you know, the kid is drinking this sweet, warm liquid, falling asleep. Pretty soon, like, you know, I would turn over, wake up in the middle of the night, and see this kid, like, laid out. Mouth open, like white drool coming out of one side of the one corner of the mouth, like just the most content 
ever, right? That's great. That goes on for a long time, right? And then, because you're a good parent, because you want the kid to grow up big and strong, you start (laughs) introducing good foods, pureed foods, because they have no teeth. Things like pureed spinach, organic spinach, no additives, no preservatives, pure, 100% God-given spinach. You set the kid in the high chair, and you get the spoon, and you dink it, dump it in that, that little jar, and then you, you play around like it's an airplane. Open the hangar. Here it comes in for a landing. You know, and the kid, because they trust you. So far, it's been nothing but Libra milk, you know. Um, comes in. That spinach hits the palate. There's a couple swigs of the tongue, and pretty soon it's like, bleh. It's all over the tray, and if you're not careful, it's all over the floor, it's all over the wall, it's in the hair. It's everywhere except where it's supposed to go, because after a while, they're batting it away, you know, as best they can with poor eye-and-hand coordination. Now... We as parents know we've got to keep doing this. We've got to keep feeding the good stuff to the kid if they're going to grow up big and strong. And so this battle ensues. And if you're a good parent, you win. You just make sure they're hungry enough to eat whatever you're putting in their mouth. Now, I'm that way with truth. I become a Christian... It's all beautiful. It's flowers and sunshine. And, and Jesus lets that go on for a while. When you first come to him, when you first learn to follow him, it's awesome. But then he starts feeding you new truth. It's good for you. It's organic. And that first spoonful of truth, and you're going, yeah, that sucks. I do not like Jesus right now. But if you continue to follow him, you will eventually learn to eat your spiritual spinach and other stuff that comes, right? So let's cut the Pharisees a break here. But not for too long. And let's cut ourselves a break, but not for too long. Why are we so afraid of truth? Because usually it comes to us in negative forms. It's like that old saying the truth will set you free, but first it will make you miserable. Which I wholeheartedly believe. Why are we afraid of truth? Sometimes we just like close our eyes, close our mouth, refuse, la, 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 not going to think about this evolution thing, la, 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 la. Because people are bringing up things that don't strike us. Like we're going, what, what, do you, what do you mean? What do you mean that the earth could be millions of years old? No, it's only six or 7,000 years old. La, 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 la. I don't care about carbon dating. I can explain that away all sorts of ways. 
Now, what do you mean that they're, 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 Christians can be Democrats? La, 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 la. Or in your case, what do you mean Christians can be Republicans? La, 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 la. I can't hear that. What I'm saying is somebody's raising some questions. And is there any question too threatening for us to consider? Or is the truth the truth? Is all truth God's truth? That's the question that I'm asking. Can we allow ourselves to be scandalized by the truth? Let me tell you that I grew up in a generation, we didn't care much about social justice overall. We cared about getting people saved. My generation was great at trying to get people saved. We had the I Found It campaign. We had all sorts of weird billboard advertisements. We had, you know, evangelism explosion. We have all sorts of things. We, we are keyed into, we are the Jesus movement people, right? The Holy Spirit came over us like a wave. We didn't know what hit us, and that's what we, that's what we knew. Is that Jesus came over? And so and so and then you know, I begin, you know, pastoring this group called Scum of the Earth. Maybe you've heard of them, and they start talking to me about social justice. And I'm thinking, what? It's like I'll, I'll go on a mission trip. What, what, you know, what are you talking about? What are you what are you talking about? You want to Christian Christians can be anarchists? What? That's impossible, isn't it? What, 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 do you, what do you mean? What do you mean I'm guilty? I haven't done anything wrong. I, I've been you know, going to church. I've been doing my time. What do, you, what do you mean that merely by consuming things, I'm wrong? You see, this truth hit me sideways. It was like spinach for me. And, and I'm going, is there something in here I need to pay attention to? Is Jesus bringing a question before me I need to consider? The social justice movement. Is it from men? Is it merely human? Or is it from heaven? Mike, which one is it? And I can guarantee you that in your Christian life, things are going to happen that strike you sideways, and you're going to find yourself in the same position as the Pharisees who are trying to figure out what the truth is without losing their theology or losing their congregations. Because that's the danger. I could lose my theology. I've got it all figured out. I know how the Messiah is coming. I know when the Messiah is coming. And I know what he's going to look like. And you do not look like a Messiah that I've studied in the Scriptures. You see, they had to learn this new truth. And the question is, were they open to the new truth? Were they going to be discerning? Did they read their own writings with discernment? I don't think there was a 
rabbi named Donald Miller. But even if there wasn't, they should have read with that kind of discernment. Who is Jesus? That was the question that they were confronted with. Who is Jesus? Do we grant him authority? Either we claim him as the Messiah or we continue to resist him. Either we claim him as Messiah or we continue to resist him. Isn't that the question that each one of us has to face? Isn't that the question every one of your friends who is not a believer has to face? The question you need to ask your friends is, will you continue seeking the truth even if it scandalizes you, even if it destroys your theology of how the world works? I don't think you can come to Christ unless you allow your ology, whatever your ology is, to be attacked by the truth of Jesus Christ. Every conversion is the story of a blessed defeat, says C.S. Lewis. It was in my case. And I don't know where you are today, but if you're one of those folks who's trying to figure out whether Jesus is who he said he was, you've got a life and death struggle in your hands. Because either you're going to continue to resist him, or you're going to accept him, as the Savior of your soul. Keep struggling. The truth will win out. Why do you come to church? Why do you come to church? Some of us come because we want to submit to Christ. We want to find out what's in the Scriptures. We want to submit to it. We want to hear the Word of God. We want to... Worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. We want to have a one-on-one encounter with him, maybe during the songs, maybe during prayer, maybe during a meal, talking to somebody about the things of Christ when we're having pizza. Who knows? But others are here for different reasons. One time they saw the comedian W.C. Fields thumbing through his Bible. And they asked him, W.C., are you becoming religious? Are you studying the Scriptures? He says, no, looking for loopholes. I mean, you can come to church and you can yield yourself to Christ or you can come to church looking for loopholes. How can I still do what I want to do the way that I want to do it and somehow maintain this affiliation with these people that I kind of like? This is the kind of question that I hear. Who gives you the right, Mike, to tell me that I can't sleep with my girlfriend whom I love and to whom I'm committed and she's committed to me? Who gives you the right to do that? Or if you're in the marriage small group, and Jim and Amy Croft are talking, you might ask this question. Who gives you the right to tell me I have to submit to my husband?
This is a tough saying for a bunch of rebels. And scum of the earth is a bunch of rebels. Me being maybe the oldest rebel here. I've been asked to leave or demoted from so many church positions, I don't even want to go into it right now. Even when I was in the business world, I always was finding a new way to do things, and it almost got me fired a couple different times. So I understand the struggle. I remember when uh, I was in the business world and I had felt the call to ministry on my life, never thought it was going to happen, and finally I felt that it did. I knew that God himself had given me the green light to pack up my family and come to seminary in Denver, which was 1,200 miles away from where I lived. I had not done a very good job of preparing my wife for this particular revelation, And so she began receiving phone calls for me from Denver Seminary Admissions Office at home, seeing packages coming to the house from Denver Seminary all the way to Toledo, Ohio. And then when I announced that it's God's will for us to go to Denver, Colorado, sell our home, live with my brother, blah, 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 You can imagine what went through her mind, like, hold on, buddy. I think her actual words were, that's fine, you can go, just keep those checks coming home. (laughs) Anyway, this kind of threw us into marriage counseling. But I was convinced, I was convinced that that I should go, right? And um, I remember even talking to one of my family members, somebody who had kind of been lukewarm about me and my Christianity, and this person said, Mike, you're the head of the household. Just go. She should follow you. Going, yeah, right. I should just go. I'm not going to send her any money. She'll come soon. Well, like I said, this threw us into uh, marriage counseling. And I forget the first marriage counseling meeting when the marriage counselor looked at me and said, Mike, stop talking about Denver. I'm going, what? God told me. What do you mean? Aren't you a Christian counselor? <laughs> what do you mean? Stop talking about Denver. I go, why? He goes, because it's a one-way ticket to a divorce. That's why. And I remember all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit brought this to my mind, I'm sure, because it's not something I would have thought of on my own. It was, are you going to submit yourself to godly authority, Mike? All those scriptures that talk about obey those that God has placed over you, you know, Those two leadership questions we talked about earlier, I knew who the guy was. I mean, he's a marriage counselor. His marriage was in a lot better shape than mine. And number two, he was sanctioned by the church I was going to, which I trusted. And uh, so then I had a decision to make. Was I going to submit myself to godly authority? Thank the Lord that I did. 
I stopped talking about Denver. Mary left that first meeting going, yes, I've won, I've won. Totally appropriate. And then, you know, once I was out of the way, the Lord could begin speaking to her. I think my shouting kind of drowned out his whispers. And then soon enough, Jesus had a chance to talk to Mary, and Mary had a chance to talk to Jesus, and uh, we came to Denver. And I got to tell you, good thing that I submitted myself, because when we got here, things were tough enough that she needed to be fully 100% on board for herself, having submitted herself to Jesus. Look, I value the rebel in each of you here at Scum of the Earth. I think... Jesus values the rebel in each of us here at Scum of the Earth because we're willing to buck the system and do what Jesus asks us to do. But I think that that needs to be balanced by submission to godly authority because unlike the Pharisees in this passage, I would like us to be not only people who question, but people who seek the truth. People who aren't afraid to hear the truth and do the truth. And so, because I don't know what else to do, I'm going to pray for us. And I'd ask you to pray along with me. Lord Jesus, you are difficult to follow sometimes. You don't bring us the truth in ways that we expect. And Lord, I want us to be not only people who follow you and do the things you say, but I would like us as a people to be folks who submit ourselves to you and your ways, even when we don't like it. Heavenly Father, help us to be open to your authority. Help us to submit ourselves to the truths that don't taste good. Put people in our lives who will be not afraid to speak the truth, And Lord, give us the kind of courage to deny ourselves and to follow Jesus wherever he may go. Holy Spirit, enlighten our minds, fill our hearts. Help us to listen to those that you've placed in authority over us. For Lord Jesus, even though the world may not recognize you as the authority that you are, we do. In your name we pray. Amen.